Hey everyone, this is Crystal, and welcome to the Haunting Hour podcast. We'll be working our way toward another full-length audio horror story episode as October begins to creep toward us. I'll be posting a poll on my website soon and let it go for a few days, up to possibly a week, so you guys can vote on our next coming show. So keep your eyes peeled and cast your vote. This week's show is all about real-life horror, with some so evil and strange, you may find yourself wondering if someone has been pulling our collective legs for several decades. Well, fact, fiction, embellished stories, I don't care. Let's boogie on down to Creepy Town. Number 1. Issei Sagawa, the Japanese cannibal. That's right, cannibal. In 1974, 24-year-old Wako University student Issei Sagawa allegedly followed a German woman to her home in Tokyo, uh, broke into her apartment while she was sleeping, and attempted to cut a piece of flesh off of her body to consume. Well, when she inevitably awoke, she reportedly tried to fight him off, and later he was captured by the police. So, get this. Vice made a documentary in 2012 that covered the creepy, bizarro Issei, saying that at the time, he was actually charged with attempted rape. Then his wealthy father paid the victim in a settlement outside of court to have the charges dropped. Hmm, of course he did. Gee, I wonder what other countries make you immune if you have copious amounts of cash? Uh, everywhere. I mean, if I attempted to eat someone, you best believe I would spend years of my life in prison and several years in rehabilitation. But this guy's story takes the cake. So just before eight years later, in 1981, he allegedly, again with the allegedly, <laughs> committed a murder in France while he was attending a university there. His fellow classmate, René Hartefelt, was shot and then consumed by Issei. The weird part? Issei documented the entire experience with photographs. And so he later was captured by French authorities while attempting to dump what remained of her body in the Bois de Bologne Lake. Probably butchering that name. But in any case, he was immediately deported back to Japan and committed to a mental institution. The baffling part? His psychologists in Japan declared that he was completely sane. Well, 
Seems like daddy's handiwork was afoot once again. If you're upset now, it gets worse and weirder. So the French government refused to turn the documents from this case over that would land him in prison, which meant that his murder charges were dropped. So not only did Issei get away with attempted cannibalism and murder, he was able to check himself out and live freely. So to this day, absolutely no one knows why France did not allow Japan to give him a trial. But I don't know. I could think of a few reasons. Blackmail or just cha-ching. If your inner scream for justice is bringing down your mental walls, I have even more bad news for you. Nothing bad ever happened to Issei. In fact, he became a controversial celebrity. This disturbing man has written over 20 books and as of last year, was quoted to have fantasized about an unnamed TV actress, saying, and I quote, I'll catch a glimpse of her thigh and think, hmm, that sure looks tasty. But I don't feel like I actually want to eat it. No, not me. Hmm. As I accomplished the act of cannibalism once, there's no meaning to maintaining the desire for it anymore. In my book, I wrote that it, you know, human flesh, was tasty. But that's not really true. I'd much rather eat Matsuzaka, which is Kobe beef, by the way. But because I desired to consume human flesh for so long, I managed to convince myself that it would be delicious. Why? Why has this man not spent any time in prison? Anyone? <sighs> anyway, creepy and interesting fact, Issei Sagawa was also referenced in the Rolling Stones song Too Much Blood with the lyrics reading, and when he ate her, he took her bones to the Bois de Boulogne. Well, if you ever want to read up on him, he's currently 73 years old and continues to live happily and free in Kawasaki City, Japan. Number two, the Kaikendal family phone stalker. You know, every time I see this name, I want to pronounce it Kukendal, but apparently it is pronounced Kaikendal even though it's spelled K-U-Y-K-E-N-D-A-L-L. Huh, pronunciation aside. So just outside of Tacoma, Washington, there's a town by the name of Furcrest. Uh, the Kaikendall family went about their daily routine uh, this day, unaware that their lives would soon become a waking nightmare. Their 16-year-old daughter at the time, Courtney, would be the first victim to this twisted game. So this happened, I believe, around 2007. Uh, one day, Courtney came to school, and her friends confronted her about some derogatory text messages they had received from her the previous night. 
I'm completely confused. Courtney insisted that she had no idea what they were talking about. At this time, the family had reason to believe that these messages sent to them and others were just a childish prank, probably one of Courtney's classmates or friends. Until, that is, they started receiving more than just text messages. They began getting very disturbing phone calls day after day at least once a day, their phones would ring, always with the name Restricted displayed on the screen. It happened so often that the family nicknamed the caller Restricted when they referred to them in interviews. Of course, it could also be the case that there was more than one caller terrorizing the Kuykendall family. Andrea McKay, which was one of the Kuykendall's neighbors, received the most disturbing call of all, with Restricted telling her that there would be a school shooting and that her children would be murdered. In an interview with ABC News, understandably so, Andrea said that she went from thinking, this is a pain, to uncontrollable anxiety and fear. She would later learn that it was not just her, but another neighbor, Darcy Price, who also claimed to get a similar call, telling her that there would be a school shooting at her children's school and warned her not to send her kids. Restricted then went as far as calling the children by their nicknames Ike and Plumpy. That is terrifying. I can say without a doubt, this is every parent's worst fear. I don't go a week uh, while she's in school without being terrified for my own child's safety, especially before her final days. Um, you know, just before summer, it always just freaks me out for her to be up there because of, you know, recent events and tragedies that have happened in Texas. It's a sad truth we all have to face. So for me, these sorts of threats, as I would imagine these parents, uh, really hit home. And they're far more terrifying than any ghost story. So... Here's where the investigation takes an odd and chilling turn of events. When the investigators finally traced the origin of the calls, they discovered that the calls were coming from the Kuykendall family phones. At a certain point, fed up and terrified, the family would turn their phones off, but the phones would come back on all by themselves. In absolute desperation, each family member changed their phone numbers, changed wireless providers, and even got new phones. But the unwanted calls and text messages continued, including messages telling them to stop getting new phones and changing wireless carriers. Could you imagine? But the terror not only continued, it got worse. The Kuykendalls began receiving recordings of 
private conversations within their own home. Tim Kuykendall even checked voicemails that would have a conversation going on in the living room between his daughter and his wife. Tim and Heather Kuykendall would listen to recordings of them speaking to law enforcement and warning them to stop speaking to the police. The family would be allowed a brief moment of comfort when they placed a security system in their home, but that sense of security was destroyed as Tim was messaged by Restricted telling him that they had the passcode to his home security system. The investigators were baffled because as each time, the source of these calls and texts were always the family's phones, and in particular, their 16-year-old daughter, Courtney's phone. The scary part? Even after her parents had taken her phone and hidden it away, the calls and messages still continued. The Kuykendall family would not be the only victims. One of their neighbors, Andrea McKay, was in her kitchen one day cutting limes when she received a phone call. The scratchy voice told her that it preferred lemons over limes, which meant whoever was calling the Kuykendalls not only could see them and know what they were doing, but also what their neighbors were doing as well. Now, this is 2007, so keep in mind that even the FBI and Homeland Security knew a lot less than we do now about hacking or spoofing phones. Uh, spoofing phones is basically being able to clone someone's phone to where it can look like they're calling you or even you are calling yourself. And, you know, to this day, it's really unknown if this was just an elaborate hoax created by the Kuykendall family or someone that was really stalking them. However, one thing is certain. Investigators are sure this is someone that knows the family. The caller knew far too much for it to be just a random stalker. You have to find yourself wondering, could this ever happen to me? I think that is the scariest part. This Hungarian countess makes even Dracula blush as we get into number three on our list, Elizabeth Bathory. Affectionately named the Blood Countess by the locals, Bathory was one of the most evil women that ever lived. Sometime between the years 1590 and 1610, this woman was said to have beaten, tortured, murdered, and bathed in the blood of over 600 young women. With four of her most trusted servants by her side, most of her poor victims were her own servant girls. The story goes that not only did she kill these ladies, but also drank and bathed in their blood to keep her youthful appearance. 
And here I thought our corporate skincare overlords were evil. Yikes. Finally, after several years of getting away with this, the law only saw fit to slap Elizabeth Bathory on the wrist and sentence her to house arrest in her castle where many murders took place in the first place. And oh, I'm sure nothing of the sort happened again. Surely she changed her ways, right? Good job, medieval justice system. The kicker? It wasn't necessarily evil to kill serfs or servants at the time. What ultimately got her arrested was when she extended her torture to nobles of any kind. But hey, don't get too angry at her. Not only had this woman been exposed to violence and brutality her entire life, but she was lucky enough to witness a public execution at the tender age of six. Kind of has a Game of Thrones vibe to it, don't you think? Bathory was later married off at the age of 13 to an 18-year-old gentleman by the name of Count Frederick Nadazdi, whom schooled our budding psychopath on how to torture others. Even going as far as slathering a poor girl in honey to be ravaged by insects. So by the time of her husband's death in 1604, Elizabeth decided to move into another castle and continued her slaughter of the innocent until sentenced to her lofty prison, where she died at the ripe old age of 54 in 1614. By the way, that's not an exaggeration. Like, 54 back then was old. At least she was known for something, I guess? Not all of us can say that we will die with the world knowing our legacy. I mean, that's awful, and no one should do the horrific, terrible, god-awful atrocities committed by these people. I can say she... Uh, she was known for something? EMTs see a lot of crazy and sad things. Because of the nature of their job, most EMTs are not superstitious by any means. But what if the unexplainable happened to you? What would you make of it? Well, that's just what happened in our fourth and final position known as the Phantom Patient. Reddit user Zerbo recounts that day with absolute clarity. There were many stories circulating about Rig 12 from other EMTs in the ambulance company they used to work for. However, much like anyone else, they never believed the stories and assumed it was something made up to spook the staff. That is, until they and their partner had their own chilling experience in Rig 12. 
Zerbo is quoted to say this. My partner and I were working in a rural community at 3 a.m. And it was pitch dark and completely quiet. We were both dozing. I was in the driver's seat and she was in the passenger's seat. I woke up to a muffled voice, but I thought my partner was talking. I told her I was trying to sleep and closed my eyes. And then I distinctly heard a male voice say, Oh my God, am I dying? Followed by a few seconds of heavy breathing. My partner and I sat up straight and looked back into the patient compartment, where it sounded like the voice had come from. Things were quiet for a couple of seconds, and then we heard the click of an oxygen bottle regulator and a hiss as if it were leaking. I turned on the lights and we ran out of the rig. I thought a transient might have climbed in while we were asleep, so we opened the rear doors. No one was there. I checked the oxygen bottles and neither was open. We didn't sleep much after that. While some people could discount just one person possibly suffering from sleep deprivation, um, you, you know, maybe they could be prone to hearing things, but two people hearing the same things are a little harder to explain. Were they being toyed with? Maybe some of the staff planted something in there to play while they're there? Or do you think maybe they did have an encounter with the supernatural? Tell me, what do you think? Thank you for joining me today on the Haunting Hour podcast, and I hope that you've found yourself wondering, should we be more afraid of the people that surround our everyday lives, or the possibility of the supernatural lurking around the corners, waiting for their chance to slip into your world? I'll leave that to you to decide. Stay tuned for our next episode and be sure to vote on our next show. Make sure to look on my website for all the details at www.cagrayson.com. That's www.cagreyson.com. Take care, everyone, and as always, pleasant dreams. <laughs>